Good morning. I'm, again, so glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Blake. I am one of the pastors here at the Refuge Church, and I'm uh, so glad to be continuing our study in Genesis this morning. Uh, Scott, of course, you know, is, is our normal uh, teaching pastor. Uh, he's out of town this week traveling uh, for some baseball tournaments, and uh, I guess it was too much to ask to have him work his normal one day of the week. Uh, but that's okay. I'm happy, to, I'm happy to step in. I'm happy to, to, to pick up the slack there for him. So, um, so maybe he can get back in the saddle next Sunday. So uh, I'm just kidding. You all know I love Scott most of the time. So all right. So, um, but uh, I hope he's enjoying his time away as he's watching, uh, watching some baseball. And um, I'm really glad to be here, here with you all this morning as we are continuing our study in Genesis. And, um, and just like what Zach was saying is we, we hope that this morning you're encouraged by the gospel. And uh, even though we, we find ourselves walking verse by verse through the, through the uh, book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, in the New Testament, before Jesus died on the cross for us, um, if I were to ask, what is the entire Bible about, what's the answer? Give me the Sunday school answer, y'all. Jesus, right? So Jesus, the, the entire Bible points to Jesus, whether it's in the, in the New Testament talking about what he has already done, or in the New Testament showing us showing us shadows of what is to come and the promises to come. The entire Bible is about the gospel of Jesus, how he died on the cross for your sins and my sins uh, so that we can be restored back to him. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, so, uh, so I'm glad to be uh, continuing our, our study this morning. And, we're, and so last week, uh, Scott finished up chapter 14. And uh, so now we are in chapter 15. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 15, uh, we're going to be looking at the first six verses this morning. So, so read with me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Adam said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we see here, right on the heels of this, uh, this interaction with Melchizedek, or as, as Scott calls him, Melchizedek, uh, we see this, uh, this interaction with him, and, and, um, and we see God interacting with Abram. What an amazing, cool moment that we see in Scripture, and it's actually a pivotal moment in our faith. And we even see some things in this narrative here that we see for the first time in Scripture. So I can't wait to dig into it with you this morning. So, but before we continue, let me pray for us. Uh, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us Genesis. Thank you for allowing us to see how you created the world, how you set the foundations of the world, how you created all of us, God, in love and seeing that it was very good, God. And then also seeing how, how sin enters the world, but you are now setting a path for your people that we see in this narrative uh, that you will restore them back to yourself, God. Thank you for the promises that we see in Scripture that we'll look at today. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the ultimate promise that we can ever hope to have came true, God, that we get to have communion with you because of what you did for us on that cross that day. So God, open our hearts, just as Zach said, please, for people that might have heard the gospel multiple times or maybe hearing it for the first time, God, let it penetrate hard hearts. 
And God, let it be planted in soft soil so that it can come to fruition through salvation in Jesus Christ. So be with, this, be with me this morning, God, um, as I will inevitably stumble over words or say weird things, God. I just pray that you use me uh, so that people can hear the truth of the gospel. We love you. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Um, so this morning, we are in Genesis 15, 16, and, and here's how this morning is going to work. Uh, we're going to look at these six verses specifically, and uh, we're going to kind of, I want you to walk through the, the shoes of Abram, see this through the lens of Abram. And then what we're going to do is we're going to zoom out just a little bit to see how this fits within the narrative of Genesis. And then we're going to zoom out a little bit more to look at the truth that God has for us here today in 2020 in these first six verses of chapter 15. And then we're going to zoom out as scientifically possible to finish up. And I'll explain a little bit more about that uh, later. So, so let's really take a look at this uh, as we dive in. So look at w- with me verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, for your reward shall be very great. So we have, after these things, so we see right off the top, we need to go back. So, uh, so what is he talking about after these things? What's, what's he talking about? So, so let's go back a little bit to the, beginning, uh, to the end of verse chapter 14 that Scott was talking about last week, and I'm going to pick up in verse 20. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and, and the share of the men who went with me let Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. So we see here in chapter 14 uh, that he rejects the spoils that, that, the, that the king offered him. And in response, after these things, the word of the Lord comes to Ab- Abram that we see. And this, by the way, this is the first mention we see in Scripture of the word of the Lord coming to someone. And when you see this phrase, you need to make sure you know that, that, uh, that this is a, a big deal. It's, a, it's an important phrase highlighting that the sheer weight of these words is a direct revelation directly from God. This is what it means when we see the word of the Lord, a phrase that we will see used many times throughout the scripture. But this is the first appearance we see here uh, in Genesis. So in this encounter, what is the first thing that God tells Abram? Yeah, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. So God speaks with Abram and offers him comfort. And God's words of fear not sound familiar, do they not? I mean, where, where else do we see this phrase happen throughout scripture? shepherds? Yeah, we see it a lot of times. Basically, anytime an angel appears to someone, they have to say fear not, right? You see, because they're freaking out, obviously. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'd be freaking out too if I was like filling my mower with gas or something in my garage and an angel of light just pops up out of nowhere, right? Like I'd be freaking out too, right? Because an angel who's designed to, 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 to mimic the glory of God, to, to, to magnify the glory of God showing up out of nowhere, that's going to freak some people out, right? And it's almost like they're saying, fear not, calm down, Get up. It's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. Is that why God is saying fear not to Abram? I mean, maybe. Scripture's not real clear about why Abram is fearful. But first of all, this wasn't just an angel speaking to Abram. It was, it was God himself. But is this why he was fearful? I think it might have more to do than the situation that we find Abram in as we're approaching these verses. He was alone, surrounded by foreigners, and he's growing weary 
of the fulfillment of the promise that God has given him in chapter 12 to make him a great nation. So regardless of why Abram's fearful, God reminds him, I am your shield. I'm your protector. And then God gives him even more comfort. Your reward shall be very great. Now, this must have been a very interesting statement to Abram, considering that he had just rejected the reward that was just offered to him by the king at the end of chapter 14. And so now we see the beginning of Abram's reply to God in verse 2 and 3. We read this. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram expresses that he doesn't desire the riches offered to him in chapter 14. He desires a child of his own. He doesn't want the rewards offered to him by Melchizedek. He wants the reward of the fulfilled promise to make him a great nation. That's what he desires. And besides, even if what he wanted was those riches, there's the very fact that he doesn't have a blood heir of his own to whom to pass it when he dies. I mean, it's almost like he's saying... I mean, what can you give me, God? I mean, no matter what you provide, it will stay with me only for a little while because I'm old and then pass right out of my family anyway. So what's the point? But we see God's reply in verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. By the way, when you see the word behold, again, we see that a lot of times in scripture. You can also read it as this. Pay attention to this. This is important. Or check this out. Or if you're Pastor Scott, listen. Listen. He says that a lot. I don't know if you'll notice that. I'm starting to pick up on his mannerisms. But, uh, but there's a lot of things he says. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then God, like the gentle, patient father that he is, graciously leads Abram outside and says this. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. At that time, before light and air pollution, Abram would have had an unblemished view of the night sky. Unless there's clouds, okay? Don't get me on technicalities, okay? Um, but that, what, a, what a beautiful view he would have, set, would have seen. I mean, have you ever seen the night sky from a place that's far away from a city? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You can see all kinds of stars. It's, it's overwhelming, even. Now, imagine trying to start to count those stars. One, two, three. I mean, you would, you would lose count very, very quickly. And how much of an overwhelming thought that must have been to look up at that night sky as the Lord himself was reminding Abram his promise to him. And by the way, just with the average human eye, without looking at telescopes, you can actually see 3,000 to 5,000 stars in the sky just from where you're standing looking up. That's a lot of stars. No way to count them, especially when you're standing in the presence of God. And God is reminding Abram that he wasn't, hasn't forgotten about him. His promise still stands, and his promise will happen. Now, just to pause for a moment, what, I want to point out what a beautiful picture we see here. In the midst of an overwhelming view of the majestic creation of God, God took time to come down and speak to one fearful, lonely man. What a beautiful picture that is. He created all of this, but he's taking time to talk to him. What a beautiful father that is. We see of God, an example of God 
refuting the thought that I am too insignificant for God to care about. I'm just a speck on a speck floating through space. How can God care about me? We see the answer here that God doesn't believe that. You are, and guess what? God loves you just as much as he loves Abram. You are not insignificant to our Lord. And in fact, in fact, Scripture tells us that he left heaven and came to earth not to just talk to us when, our, when we're lonely, but to die for us when we were still his enemies. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, so I apologize. But I'm, uh, that's, that's, I want you to know that God loves you just as much as he loves Abram, to take the time out of his creation to come and talk to a feared man. All right, so let me get, let me get back to this. So, um, and how did Abram answer God's reminder to him? In verse 6, we read this. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram answers the Lord's rebuttal with belief. And that's what made him righteous. He believed in the promise of God because God over and over again has proven that he keeps his promises. Now, now that we've talked a little bit about Abram and seeing this interaction with God, we were able to walk through in his shoes just a little bit, or sandals, I guess. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're, let's zoom out just a little bit to see how this narrative fits within the rest of Genesis. So in, this, in these six verses, we see God reminding Abram of his promise to him. Now, what are some of the other promises that we see God making throughout Scripture? Anyone? There's people sitting in this room, and I'm asking you guys. So what's, what's going on? What other promises do we see? Yeah, what was that? Yeah, we'll never leave you or forsake you. What are some other promises that we see? There's a lot, okay? So I'll, I'll let you guys off the hook. Thank you, uh, Jeff, for answering me. I expect some more out of the rest of you throughout my sermon, so I need to buck up. All right, but uh, we see a lot of promises, right? I mean, we see uh, lots and lots of examples of God throughout Scripture promising something to someone. And this morning, I want us to look at three specific promises that we see that we've already talked about uh, in chapters 1 through 14 of Genesis. And the first one that I want us to look at is Adam and Eve, the, the, the promises that we see in the narrative with Adam and Eve. So if you can, turn back with me to, uh, to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at some of these, uh, some of these promises that we've seen. And uh, so to refresh our memories, uh, what happens in the beginning? He creates everything, right? I need some more energy from you guys. Come on. So he creates everything, right? He creates the sun, the moon, the stars, us, birds, trees, uh, caterpillars. He creates everything, right? He creates the entire world. And it was very, very good. And it all runs really, really well until almost chapter 3, right? Until chapter 3, and then, and then things start to fall apart a little bit. And, um, and this is where it unravels. And um, so here's what we read in Genesis chapter 2 before this unravels. Uh, the Lord of the God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we see this warning from God not to eat of the tree and explains what will happen if you disobey. And they totally obey and everything totally works out, right? No, no. We see that Adam and Eve deceived by the serpent. They eat of the tree and God's warning unfortunately becomes reality. Sin enters the world. Their eyes are opened and their nakedness is revealed and they run and hide. Then we pick up in chapter 3 to see God's answer 
to this disobey. Oh, I forgot to keep going. Um, Then the word of God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God gives another promise. This time not to Adam, not to Eve, but to the, uh, but to the servant himself, to the enemy. He promises, makes a promise to the deceiver. Now, is it just me or does this kind of seem like one of those Liam Neeson moments, right? Has anyone seen Taken, right? So I have a very specific set of skills and I will come for you. I will find you and I will bruise your head. So... This seems like one of those moments, right? God is giving a promise to the serpent, really a threat to the serpent. So in this narrative, we see God twice giving his word, one a warning to Adam, the other a promise of defeat to the enemy, both fulfilled. Because where do we know that that threat to the enemy is fulfilled? Come on, give me the Sunday school answer. Jesus. We know that that threat is fulfilled in Jesus, that that the bruised heel being represented by the crucifixion of Christ. But we know that, the, uh, the, that him raising from the dead and putting an end to sin and death representing the crushed head of the enemy. A bruised heel, a temporary injury for Jesus. A bruised head, a fatal blow to sin and death. That, fulfilled is also prom- uh, that, that promise is also fulfilled. So what I want you to see is Now we're going to look at our third promise, and that third promise is with Noah. So I'm going to invite the band back up, and I want y'all, y'all take requests, right? Uh, The Noah's Ark song. Can we do that? Can we get the Noah's Ark song going? I'll do the motions. Can y'all? No, we're not going to do that? Okay, never mind. All right, I need y'all to learn that one. But uh, but what we're going to do is uh, we're going to look at uh, the specific promise that that Noah gives to Noah and his family in Genesis chapter 9. So... Uh, So go ahead and read with me, starting in chapter 9, verses 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set a bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So what is this? Um, So we see here, that um, we see another promise that God is giving to one, a person in his creation, this time to Noah. And uh, just like Abram, we see God directing his attention to the sky as a reminder of his promise to him. And what was that promise? Right, but what, was the, what did he set in the sky as a reminder of that promise? Sorry, I should have asked more specifically. Right, a rainbow, right? Yeah, what was that? Okay. <laughs> Now you're interacting with me, but now, okay, so you've got to speak up. So, 
All right, so we see a rainbow. The rainbow is what he set in the clouds as a reminder of the, of the promise that he made to Noah. And what's funny is every time I see a rainbow, my, my wife and I, we always joke uh, because it reminds us about a lesson that we taught a three-year-old Sunday school class uh, when we first got married. Uh, it was a lesson on Noah's Ark, and no, we didn't talk about the, uh, we didn't teach them the song, and, and uh, the, the, um, the, the pictures that we show them did show clear waters, nothing else floating in the water, uh, uh, along with the boat. We all know that's, you know, this is for kids, okay? So, um, and, uh, but what we see is we taught those little three-year-olds that when you see a rainbow in the sky, what it reminds you is God keeps his promises, so every time me and Sam, when we see a rainbow, we'll turn to each other and go, God keeps his promises, right? So everyone say it with me. God keeps his promises, okay? So when you see a rainbow in the sky, let it be a reminder to you, just like it was to Noah, God keeps his promises, okay? Let, let that be a reminder to you because God, we still have rainbows today. How cool is that? God still is reminding his people of what he said. We saw that uh, he keeps his promises all throughout the things we've already looked at. We know this. We saw God keeping his word uh, with his warning to Adam and Eve. We saw him keeping his word with a threat he gave to the serpent in the garden. And we see it now with God keeping his promise with Noah. God keeps his promises. And of course, getting back to chapter 15, we know that this promise of God made to Abraham, or I'm sorry, Abram at the time, uh, would also be fulfilled. And we see that Abram in verse 6 believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. After all, do we have any reason to believe that God might not keep his word? I mean, do we, based on what we see in Scripture, do we have any reason to believe that? And we just looked at a few examples of God over and over again bringing his promises to reality. Abram did just that. He, he believed God and he believed that God would fulfill his promise. And this is where we get to zoom out just a little bit more and see what chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, has for us today. And here's the thing. God, uh, Noah was looking at what he believed God was going to do, but for us today, we get to have belief in what God has already done. How wonderful is that? God promised a childless man that he would father a great nation, and he did just that. He destroyed the world with a flood, but left a remnant to flourish in Noah's family and promised to never destroy the world with a flood again. And sin had entered the world through Adam, but death and sin has already been defeated by Jesus on the cross. God keeps his promises. And we see that God, what he has already graciously done for us, he humbled himself, sent his son to die on the cross to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin. And in Romans, we see that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. I mean, we get to believe in what God has already done. Praise God. It's an open book test, y'all. <laughs> okay? God diagnoses our diseases. It also gives us the cure and other analogies. Okay? I could use other things too, but I think I'm getting the, the point across, right? This is amazing. We see sin and death, but he also gives us the cure in Jesus. So we get to believe in what, and believe in what he has already done. But just like Adam and Noah and Abram, today in 2020, we also have belief in what he will do. On this side of the cross, we find ourselves in this, this awkward middle ground, and theologians call it the, the already not yet. We see the battle won by Jesus on the cross, putting a, a stopper in sin and death, 
But one of the other promises of God, one of his yet still unfulfilled promises, is more eagerly anticipated today than ever. When Adam sinned, it set off a chain reaction that would affect all of humanity and even creation itself. This world is broken and fractured by sin. I mean, can you really look around and not tell me that this world is broken? Especially this week. But not just this week. This has been happening for decades, for generations. And this brokenness is manifested in a lot of different ways. And especially this week, one clear example that we have is how our brothers and sisters of color are hurting right now. They're broken. And there's a lot of people throwing around theories as to why that is, but we know, based on what we see in Scripture, the reason for their hurt is because of the sin in the hearts of man. And again, I don't say that to cheapen. I don't say that to make an easy cop-out answer. But we know, that's the, we know that's the reason why there's this brokenness in the world is because of the sin of Adam that has broken creation itself. But God, being rich in mercy with great love for us, has given us a promise. In fact, he's even given us a glimpse of the healed world waiting before us. In Revelation chapter 21, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. The good news we have in the promise of God is this broken world we see before us isn't permanent. God has already begun the work in healing this world through Jesus' death on the cross. That day, death and sin were defeated, but now we eagerly await Jesus' return. We eagerly await for the day where the, all the brokenness of this world has passed away, as we see in verse 4 of Revelation 21. Now, let me ask you this again. Do we have any reason at all to believe that God won't fulfill his promises based on what we see in Scripture? No, that rainbow hung in the clouds reminds us of what? God keeps his promises. He does. He, that's not just a weird thing I taught three-year-olds to say. It's true. It's truth. God keeps his promises. God will see it come to pass. And if you have still have a hard time of believing that God really can pull it off, let me take you on a short, uh, a short field trip. And uh, this field trip is what's been affectionately called as Blake's Nerd Corner. So come with me, will you, to, uh, to Blake's Nerd Corner, and we're going we're gonna to talk about science. Okay, so science time it is. Don't, don't close your window right now. I promise uh, this is going to be a really cool thing for you because science is cool and God made science. So there you go. God keeps his promises even in science. Um, so one of the things I want to show you is uh, we looked at this night sky earlier, and this is just a representation of what, of what Abram saw that night. And of course, like I mentioned, uh, with a naked eye, you're able to see 3,000 to 5,000 stars in the sky from where you're standing on an unblemished night. And uh, so one of the, in 2003, 
NASA researchers for the first time used the orbiting Hubble Space Telescope to do something new. They pointed the telescope at a seemingly empty spot in the sky. It looked like just black. And what they did is uh, they tried to see what, what, is, what is beyond that blackness. Now, for, for those of us who are photographers, for my photography friends out there, when you're trying to take a picture in low light, what do you have to do? You have to leave the shutter open longer, right? You have to leave it open longer so it can gather more light. I, I told you all we're in Blake's nerd corner, so don't be, don't be rolling your eyes now, okay? So you have to open, leave the shutter open. Now, for us here on Earth, we have to leave it open for five minutes or something like that. But that's exactly what the NASA researchers did. While they had their telescope pointed at the seemingly empty spot in the sky, they left the shutter of the Hubble Space Telescope open, but for five months, pointed at the spot in the sky, just to see what lies beyond the stars that we can't see with our eyes. And when they got that image back, they were astounded by what they saw. That black field was littered with light. Light too dim for us to see with our naked eyes, but that light captured over five months revealed its true nature. What's even more astounding is that each one of these points of light that you see aren't stars. Each point of light that you see is an entire galaxy or a cluster of galaxies. Again, I told you all we're going to Blake's Nerd Corner. This is super cool, okay? That each one of these lights that you see represents billions of stars. On that star-filled night, God showed Abram a promise using the thousands of stars above him. God offers us a similar reminder. Looking at this image that we see here, listen to these words from Isaiah. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is a strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. So if you have a hard time believing that God will continue to keep his promises, remember that there is nothing that he didn't create and nothing outside of his power. When you look at the broken world around you, and I assure you, it is broken, I hope it leads you to see that this world is in need of a healer. It's in need of a savior. God has already started the work of healing this world in his son, Jesus Christ. He conquered death by raising from the dead on the third day. And we see in Romans that confession and believing in his resurrection is what leads to salvation. So if you've never done that, I hope that you do. Today even, this hour even. Maybe you've heard the gospel. Maybe you've heard these words. But you've never actually confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and truly believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It might have been some rhetoric you said over and over to appease your parents, your grandma, or whoever it is. You never truly believed it. Right now, God is inviting you to believe in what he has already done. There's scientific evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm, here, I'm not here to convince you, you know, through historical documents or anything like that. It's the Holy Spirit whose high hope is tugging at your heart right now, pleading with you to believe. And I, I trust that if you feel that tugging in your heart, talk to us. Talk to a friend. Call me up, whatever it is. I pray that you answer. I pray that you do something with that, with that 
feeling in your heart because I believe the Holy Spirit is saving you even in this moment. I hope that he is. And I hope that you're comforted by the fact that even though we float in a sea of seemingly infinite space among billions of stars, you are not too insignificant for the creator of the universe to die for because that's precisely what he did. If you confess and believe, he did that for you. And for those who are hurting right now, for whatever reason it is, let me close with these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this, of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation that waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let me pray for us.